laid it out to my wife and I was like, babe, I, I know what I'm going to do. And she's like, all right, well, you know, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to become a real estate investor. And to me, it was bold just to say it, you know, because I, I thought she was going to crack up laughing at me. She was like, what are you talking about a real estate investor? You know, uh, and she saw how I, my eBay little thing went, which is not good. So she probably had zero confidence in me, but she kind of put on a good front at least. You know, she's like, oh, you can you can you can totally do it. I believe in you. You know, how are you going to do that? And uh, she's always been supportive. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Started Somewhere podcast. I'm Ross Alex. This is episode 43. And today, my friends, we have Brant Phillips stopping by the show to share with us his story on how he became a super successful real estate investor. I mean, Brent's been doing it all. He does rental properties, builds new construction, wholesales, real estate. I mean, the whole nine yards. You name it, he does it. Brent has an incredible story. He actually used to be a police officer until he realized it wasn't what he wanted to do anymore. And he really wasn't feeling fulfilled with his life. So he made some changes. And he shares that with us in this episode. My friends, sit back. Relax and enjoy the show. Before this episode begins, I just wanted to ask you for a quick, simple favor. If you haven't already rated the show, please do so. Really trying to get the ratings up here. The more ratings, the better the show performs, the more exposure, all that good stuff. So please take a second, give me a rating. Whether you're on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, it'll really go a long way. All right, Brent, welcome to the show, bro. Thanks for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. My man. I'm excited for today's episode, bro. I'm excited too. Dude, you are definitely somebody that I look up to in the real estate space, man. Been following you for quite some time now. I think we first connected back in like 2015. I remember you you private messaged me or something like that on Facebook or something like that. I think you had just came into Houston. Remember that? Way back when, bro. I didn't know anybody. You know, I was actually, it's funny you just brought that up, man, because last night I was thinking like, you know, it's always nerve wracking for people when they move to a new city. So they don't know anybody. They don't have roots there. They don't have family there. And when I first moved to Houston, I just had an open mind, but I really didn't know what to expect. But when I started putting myself out there, Houston has to be one of the most welcoming cities. Like, I don't know if it's just a real estate community or if it's just a Houston, you know, just the Texas culture. But, you know, I made friends with a lot of people, man. It was just, it was all love. You know, I can't complain. So, I cried. I cried when I moved to Houston. What was that? I was very depressed. Uh, well, this is, this has started somewhere, right? That's and, it, brother. Uh, yeah, man. So I know you, we were talking before the show, we're going to talk about, well, we can get into this. This is my, like my high school story. You want to talk about that later? You want to talk about that now? Let's get into that in a little bit. All right, let's do that. Let's just set that up there for the viewers that when I'm, when I came to Houston, I cried. We got a crazy oh, story. I'll talk about that later. Okay. All right. All right. I love it. So Brent, man, um, I know what you're 
main business model is, you know, just from following you on Instagram and on Facebook. But for the listeners that aren't familiar with your work, would you mind to just give us like a brief overview? And I'm, I'm a, I think we're like, you and I are a lot of like, probably a lot of listeners. I'm just a real estate entrepreneur and serial entrepreneur, which is sometimes good, sometimes not good. Um, so primarily though, it's all in the world of real estate. I started, um, you know, 13 years ago buying rental properties and, um, and I've, I've been focusing primarily 80-20 rule, 80% of everything we do is just focus on single family homes. We flip a lot, we rent a lot, we do owner financing, uh, do all kinds of stuff like that. And that just that just morphed into, you know, I had about 25 rental properties in my first couple of years. And then I learned about flipping and I went down that rabbit hole and then and I'm still there. And then we launched a construction division because as I built out my systems and my teams, I said, I might as well try to make a buck on this as well. And people started asking me to do that. So we launched a construction division. Then people started asking me to speak. You know, I wrote I wrote a book years ago and started really enjoying teaching and coaching. So I, so we added that uh, additional you know business or division into what we do. And um, you know, and that that's what we do. Um, I, I I'm all about. Um, uh, making money in the world of real estate, helping others do the same. And, you know, we've, geez, we've done so much. Um, you know, we have a commercial property we've bought in the last two years. We've bought a mobile home park. We bought an RV park. We just bought a 51 lot subdivision that I'm super excited about. We're really converting this distressed piece of land uh, that was called a subdivision, but is basically vacant into an affordable housing community. And that project's going really, really well. And we're in the process of creating a fund to do an additional development from the ground up to do somewhere between one, 100 to 150 uh, uh, manufactured homes. Basically, it's like a mobile home. It sounds better if you say manufactured home mm. on a half acre lot rather than putting you know um, these homes packed in together like at a mobile home park. We're putting a nice double wide trailer on a half acre lot. And at a very affordable price, if you want to go into, you know, any major city now, you're looking at $250,000, to buy just a basic cookie cutter home. And so what we're doing is giving people opportunity for home ownership uh, with this model, but but not all sandwiched in. Like they're getting a nice half acre lot, a home they can call their own. Mm. And uh, that's what I've been, my, my core focus is on right now, but we're still buying houses and doing that kind of um, residential investing got the team built out and they're doing their thing while it's allowed me to focus on some other things as well. You know, the, the manufactured homes down in Florida, they're everywhere. I mean, tens of thousands. You have these communities, they make these gated communities on the golf course with the manufactured homes. I don't know too much about them, but I know that they, they're permanent. Like, you don't just move them. They're not them. going anywhere. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. They have garages, right? Like you wouldn't know that it wasn't, you know, a, a real house. Well, it is a real house. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah. And then, so you just pay the lot fee. And yes. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. There's, there's a couple. Yeah. There's a couple models. And then, you know, getting into this call, that's one thing with me. It's like, 
you know, I've been in this business a long time. You've been in this business a long time. We've seen people come and go and they don't, they don't stick. It's not, you know, they don't have a sustainable model or they're not able to pivot. And for me, this has been happening for 12 years now where the market has consistently gone up each and every year since it hit the bottom, like 2009, it's gone up every year. And every year real estate goes up, you get more people that like real estate, more buyers come into the market. So it's been, you know, we're full on, you know, uh, seller's market with a ton of buyers, little inventory. So it's been, a, it's been harder and harder to buy like good deals each and every year for the last three or four years. So I had a friend of mine who was play, I say just kind of playing around with mobile home park model for a while. And, uh, he turned me on to it, but honestly, I, I didn't think it was that great. I just, I thought he was kind of a redneck and I'm like, all right, man, that's cool. You do your mobile home thing, man. And then he started talking to me. I'm like, tell me your numbers. Like he told me about this deal and my, my job pretty much dropped on the numbers on this deal. And that was a mobile home park on, I'm sorry, a mobile home on land. He bought it at a tax auction for like $20,000, like a 15 or $20,000 home on it and sold it for like 85 or $95,000 owner financing, 10% interest. They ended up defaulting uh, like a year or two later after putting down 10 grand and he resold it, got 10 grand, sold it for like a hundred thousand. He's in the sink for 40,000 percent interest. You know, I'm like, man, that's better. That's better than my, my single family home deals I'm doing. So I began researching and two things really jumped out at me. Uh, so number one, you know, Warren Buffett owns uh, 21st Century Mortgage, which is the, the number one financing company in mobile homes. And, and he also owns Clayton Homes, the number one manufacturer of mobile homes. So I'm like, hmm. And then number two was Sam Zell, like the greatest real estate investor developer of all time, is the number one owner of mobile home parks in the country. And so I read Sam's book. And so Sam kind of stumbled upon mobile home parks like way back in the day. He was actually, it was an interesting story. He was in the, they were in the process of buying some, you know, uh, multi, multi hundred, you know, two or $300 million companies, something like that. And they're going through their, uh, like their balance sheet and they had uh, like, a, they owned a mobile home park. And so Sam told one of his guys, he said, Hey, I need you to go take a look at this park and figure out what we got to do to get rid of it. Like we don't want a mobile home park. So he sent one of his guys down to take a look at the park, look at financials, yada, yada, yada. And he came back. He's like, Sam, you got to look at this thing. He's like, is it worse than we thought? He's like, no, I've never seen anything like it. It's a cash cow. So fast forward to today, this is very interesting. And I'm, I'm giving all my kind of my, my quote unquote secrets. But uh, this is why I got so excited about it was since then. So Sam has became the number one owner of you know, their company of mobile home parks in the country. Very, very interesting. They have over the years, they've sold off 50, 60 percent of their portfolio with commercial, with multifamily, other asset classes. They have never sold a mobile home park. Wow. It's pretty interesting so i read that and i'm and i'm just 
I'm I'm a very type A kind of guy. I'm like, let me just go get my hands dirty. So we bought a, a RV park last year. We bought a mobile home park last year. And I'm just, I'm going after it, man. I'm like, I'm letting these, I'm letting these folks, uh, you know, fight over their single family homes and we're fighting for them too. I mean, my, my acquisitions guys out there on the, hitting the streets and we're fighting for those. But at the same time, I'm over here with very little to no competition. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I love it, man. You got You got to play ball in the uh, clear blue waters, right? Because right now, the sharks are out there. It's bloody, man. It's bloody. Blue ocean strategy. You're That's it, brother. Right. I was talking to my contractor yesterday, and we were, I was reminiscing about the fifty, sixty thousand dollars houses I was buying up like crazy back in 2015, 2016. And houses on those same blocks, not even, what, two, three years later, are selling for 90, 100, 110. It's like, man, yeah. who's, you know, who, and people are buying them. They're buying them. I guess, you know, people are, everybody wants to be a landlord now. Dude, I, I don't know. You know, they're paying full market price. And, you know, that's Buffett says when everybody's going left, you go right. Or whatever, mm. everybody's going in, you go, go out. So we're, we're very conservative right now. We're still buying, but we're just very, very conservative. So, Brent, you're... Killing in the real estate space, right? Been in the game for, you said, 13 years? Bought my first house January 2007 with a credit card. I got to hear about that story. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, talk about, let's talk about that high school era, right? First off, where'd you grow up? Yeah, man. Um, appreciate you too, man. Uh, I love telling my story. I love hearing people's stories. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Dallas. Uh, grew up in Dallas, kind of a outskirts, rural area of Dallas. Um, that's where I grew up. Great childhood, stuff like that. And I was in middle school, and my dad lost his job. He had lost, he was in oil and gas kind of stuff, and he had you know been had times where he lost his job. But this was a, a Black Friday oil crash, whatever in the in the eighties, and uh, lost his job for a long period of time. We, um, they, my parents lost everything. So I saw him go through that like a year and a half, um, you know, bankruptcy, foreclosure, lost our house. Uh, you're a little, you're, you're a lot younger than me. You remember those jams? There was these shorts, they were called jams, probably before your time. I don't know how much older I am than you, but there were these things you can Google them. They're called jams. They're like these beach. Let me see. How, how do you, is it spelled J-A-M-S? JMS shorts. Let me see. Anyways, here. they're just like these, these shorts, and they this is what sticks out of my mind, right? So everyone had these jams. Yeah, they had all kinds of different clothes. Well, we were in a position where my mom had I had homemade jams, if that paints a little picture. Okay. But man, I, honestly, like I had a great childhood, all that kind of stuff. And then that was kind of a rough spat. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I can't picture you rocking some of these, man. So my mom, I remember my mom made me some homemade jams, man. And so uh, my my dad later got uh, a job in Houston, and we drove down to Houston, moved to A Leaf, and I came down here, and I'm the first night, dude. I just remember crying because I like I missed 
saw my friends. I'm in this big city now. And it was just like, mm. that was my first uh, experience in Houston. But I went to A-Leaf, uh, A-Leaf Elsick High School. Wait, and that was you moved the, to A-Leaf? Yeah, I moved to A-Leaf, man. Bray, you grew up in the yeah. hood, man? It was, it was culture shock for me, man. It was kind of culture shock for me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they leave. There's some. There's yeah. some rough patches. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, it, it was. Yeah, so that that's the high school years, man. So you moved to Houston, right? You cried because you you missed everybody back home. Yeah, I missed my friends. We didn't have the internet and cell phones, and I tell my kids. You know, it was uh, making a phone call was long distance. My kids didn't know what that meant. And I'm like, man, I had a couple of like real tight friends. I'm actually to this day, my best friend, like we're childhood friends, right? We're best man at each, each other's weddings. We had to like write some letters to each other. Hey man, what's going on? That's what we're doing. Like actually write out a letter. Like that's just foreign for mm. some people to even think about it. Um, but that, that was, that was how I got to Houston and, and here we are. Times have changed, man. Times have changed, man. You see five-year-olds nowadays working iPads, iPhones, no problem. Dude, my, my four, he's five now. He was three or four. He taught his grandmother how to use an iPad. <laughs> he's like, he a grandma. It's unbelievable. I don't know, man. They, I guess, you know, a lot of people uh, have different views and opinions on the current state of childhood. But, like, when I grew up, I was born in 90. I just turned 30. When I grew up, we were all about riding bikes to each other's houses, manhunt, freeze tag. Like, we just wanted to be outside as much as possible. Yeah. You know, we weren't worried about TV, you know, watching shows. Like, we just wanted to be outside playing until, the, until it got dark out. That's different, what we did, man. It was different times now. <laughs> you know, we lived in the same house. I had these three, like, best friends there's four of us and we played this kind of the childhood i was like it was like appreciate my parents so much because they gave me a great childhood we had four of us we were on the same soccer team same baseball team and the same football team like going to first grade first second third fourth fifth we did all that stuff together um you know parents carpool like we're like this we had these woods we used to go out in the woods with bikes Four wheelers. We used to go. We had uh, BB gun wars. We go shoot each other with BB guns. And one time, this dude got a BB stuck in his ear, and it went all the way around. We had to push the thing out. You know, so we just did. We just did stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, I moved to Houston. It was a little bit of culture shock, is what it is. Um, yeah, man, it's a different, different day and age for sure. It's pretty much wake up, eat some breakfast, and you know, my my parents were like just be home before dark. Cause I'd maybe be at a friend's house. We'd grab lunch. Maybe we'd stop at mine. Just be home before dark. Mm. Be out for twelve hours some days. Mm. You know, there was a lake. We'd go out in the lake. Dude, one time, one time, I so I got grounded. I didn't get grounded often. I was a pretty good kid. And this this dude in our neighborhood built like this raft. Uh, that had like all the styrofoam. It was just it was like a huckleberry fin like raft. And this is a big lake. It was called Lake Ray. Ray Hubbard, we were on the far uh, east side, if people know where that's at. And there's nobody out there back in the day. So we got in this thing after school. I was supposed to be grounded. I was supposed to come home right away. My mom had started working like some little part-time job. My dad got laid off. 
we got on this boat like i don't know three o'clock we start floating lake ray hubbard is big dude we ended up like in the middle of the lake and i'm like dude i'm grounded i gotta get home man my parents are gonna kill me so i hopped off this boat and i'm swimming back i damn near drowned <laughs> i get home it took me like i'm not even lying i almost died in that lake and so i get home and i'm like you know just uh, soaking wet my mom's pulling up at the same time the sun's going down these kids ended up like two uh, cities over draft uh drifting on that boat they got home like at eight o'clock or at night but yeah man my childhood is is so much different in a lot of ways than, than my kids but it's what it is it is what it is brother generations uh always change right yeah. Who knows what's going to happen a hundred years from now, yeah. right? People will look at, like, it scares me to think that people are going to look at this iPhone one day and say, you guys used to use that thing? How did, how did you live with it, with this? <laughs> you know, it's just scary to think about it. My, my kids don't understand that I didn't have a cell phone when I was a kid. <laughs> that came up the other yeah. day with my five-year-old and then my my oldest kid he says this every now and then i'll talk about something i'll reference something you know and and he'll ask me he'll say dad did y'all have this did y'all have these in the 19s <laughs> talk about you talk about making you feel old like did y'all yeah have these in the 19s dad did these exist in the 19s <laughs> that's hilarious man i saw this funny meme on tiktok where this guy asked this guy this birthday and he goes 2000 and and the guy like goes into a shock and he's like and there's more and oh man so so brett so let me ask you this man um you went to high school you said in a leaf were you how was school easy for you did you like school you know did you no. do good in school tell us about that no no didn't do a good in school solid like solid c student um in school, just did enough to get by. Um, was not gonna go to college. That that con like no one in my family went to college. That conversation never really came up. Um, hated school. Uh, graduated. Like I played football and I, you know I had a good time and had fun. I had my buddies, but no, like mm. schoolwork was not something. What, what did you What did you hate about school? Oh uh, man, I wasn't just like. I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life first off. So I didn't see the purpose of mm. it. I was, I was more, I wanted to play, you know, I want to play football and want to have fun with my friends. And also I, I just wasn't very intelligent kid to be close with man. Cause I, I just had no direction mm. and, uh, so much. So I just wanted to get, I, I told you when I came back here or when I came here, I missed my friends, missed my childhood. And I came here my freshman year of high school. So I pretty much had my, my sight focused on getting back to Dallas. And I, I graduated high school and um, it was kind of cool. I got graduated high school and my friend had driven down and surprised my best friend. And I moved to Dallas the next day. And I told my parents like, hey, I'm gonna go uh, move back to Dallas. So I moved back to Dallas, no plans, just like I'm gonna figure out life and uh, me and my buddy, he was the same way. He barely got out of high school. And um, we both got a job working this warehouse. And dude, it sucked, man. It was hard.
hard work, 10 hour days, at least hot summer, loading warehouses for this, uh, it's called Eckerd Drugs, like CBS. Mm. And uh, that was my, my first introduction to like the real, real life. So and you, you were what, 17, 18 at the time? Yeah, I was 18. 18, moved out at 18 years old. Wow. That's that's a pretty that's a bold move, definitely. A, I mean, what, how did you it get? An, last, it didn't last long though. <laughs> did did you get did you get an apartment or were, were you staying with your buddy or? No, no my buddy. They, his parents had like a little room in the back of their house. Mm, okay, so they let us stay in that, and uh, so I stayed there. And we were on the verge of getting an apartment, and so my buddy's friend, uh, uh, my my buddy's dad was uh, he's a pretty big role model for me growing up because he was an entrepreneur. He had a construction company. And I think back about it, he's probably one of the reasons I got real estate because he was very successful. And I mean, I watched, we all watched his dad create success. And he started as a paint contractor. And then he started, you know, buying some real estate buying rental properties and stuff like that. He took good care of himself. Like he was hitting the gym, so he was in good shape. You know, just lived differently than I saw, you know, and I love and appreciate my dad, but just different. Mm. And, um, you know, they would go uh, take a lot of vacations and trips, and they took me on several of them, man. And um, I just, so much respect for this man. And I remember he used to take us on like Saturday mornings, I'd spend the night over there. This is when I was a kid. He wake us up like 6 a.m. We go th- drive through Jack in the Box. We drive into town. It's basically lived on the outskirts of town. We drive into the city in Dallas. He gets Jack in the Box. He was going to check on properties, walking projects. So we're sitting in there vacant houses, houses under rehab, you know, just just being kids and uh, walking these houses. And so, man, I had like amazing, amazing respect for his father. And he fortunately passed away a couple of years ago. But that kind of always set with me and the relation, they had a real great relationship. So they pretty much took me in like a kid. So we came up there, lived in the back of their house, but me and him were planning on getting an apartment. And uh, we worked this job, I don't know, working it five, six months. And um, we were both like, dude, this sucks, man. Like we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do. We started, you know, starting to look for another job. He took a job with his dad. And I was like, man, what am I gonna do? So I kind of tucked my tail between my legs and asked my parents if I could come back home and um, figure things out. They said, yes, of course, my parents are great. And so I came back home and I, I enrolled in HCJC, uh, used, uh, wait, no, WCJC, <laughs> Wharton County Junior College. Uh, I did not go to HCC, I went to uh, Wharton County and I went to college, man, and I worked and went to college, I worked at Academy, sporting goods locally mm. and I went to college ended up going to Sam Sam Houston State up there in uh, Huntsville stayed a couple of years in uh, at, at college station and got my I got my degree and um, I did actually I did pretty well you asked how, how I did in co- uh, high school not good not good college I did very very well well, I well still went out a lot what what did you uh lot, I do. what huh? what what did you major in? Criminal justice. So I majored in criminal justice. Um, I did. I began 
wanting to learn. You know, that's all like I like I began just not like I would do whatever classwork I do, but I, I began reading books and and having that warehouse job really scared me. Also, it shook me up because I was looking at dudes who were, you know, 30s and 40s. And I'm like, man, these guys make it and they ain't making nothing. They had no future. And you could kind of see. I remember looking at you know, getting to know some of these guys. There was no life in their eyes. Right. They were just pretty much like like zombies. There's mm -hmm. like a lot of people were like zombies. So I majored in criminal justice. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I was interested in like law enforcement and that, that kind of stuff. So it was honestly the only thing that interests me. I'm like, well, criminal, uh, Sam, you sound a great criminal justice program, like top of the nation. I'm like, I'll study that. So I studied that, graduated college, um, became, went into law enforcement. You know, a lot of people know that about me as in law enforcement and it was in there seven years. I won't get into all those stories, man. I could tell, tell all kind of stories, but the reason I left law enforcement was because of the politics and, and it was just a depressing job, man. And not even depressing what I dealt with. It was depressing like my coworkers, meaning they were like zombies too, man. And I remember I was there and I was talking about, you know, all my friends, I had like so many good friends and still too, do to this day but i remember people used to bitch and complain and moan about whatever like every day they were bitching and moaning and complaining about something and then they used to always talk about retirement like people were always counting down their years till they retire they'd be bitching about so i only got 10 more years i got eight more years five mm. more years 12 more years and i'm thinking to myself that's a long ass time. Like you don't have to be here. And then I started like telling him like, you don't, you're not in behind bars. You can leave. And then I started telling myself that, and there's, there's just so many politics and I'm like, I'm not going to fight this fight. I got better things to do in my life. And, um, and so I left, quit my job, uh, quit law enforcement, went into the, it was right after I had my first son. So I was working weekends, nights, holidays, that kind of stuff. So, and, you know, and I just didn't want to do anymore. So I'm like, all right, been there, done that. And I, you know, I was thinking about going doing all this federal stuff and, and, and doing that. But once I had my wife and my, my son, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. So I went to corporate world. This is the, probably the story I share the most. I went into corporate world, got this job and which didn't want to do, but I wanted to do it. It's the best thing for my family. I came home the first day. I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. My wife's all excited. You know, babe, how was it? How was your first day? Tell me all about it. And I remember looking at her and I'm like, how was it? Uh, I think I hate everything about it, to be honest, like everything about it. And, uh, and I told her, I was like, hey, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to provide for the family, but I'm going to figure something else out because this is, I was in, I could tell I was in the same situation, man. All these people putting on their fake smiles and their suit and ties, but behind the scenes, behind their closed doors, they were not happy. This was not something I was going to do, spend the rest of 20, 30, 40 years of my life. So 
I didn't know what I was going to do. I started a little eBay business and didn't make any money. I tried to just start figuring out, you know, going to Barnes and Nobles, going to the bookstore. And uh, like everybody else, it took me a couple years. Then, of course, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Someone else kind of steered me in the direction of real estate. And that's when I picked up, you know, Robert Kiyosaki. And the light bulb just went off. I'm like, oh, I can do this. And I remember, you know, I said I bought my first house with a credit card. You know, I tell everybody, you know, we hear people all the time say, man, I want to get in real estate and just like saving up some money or they're, they're, they're giving you excuses why they're not starting. And when I started, I, I didn't have any money. We were, we lived in an apartment. We had just, we went through the Dave Ramsey thing, like financial freedom a couple of years before that. So we were doing that. We had no financial education. So we paid off our student loans pay off our credit cards because that's what Dave Ramsey said to do. And then that world collided with what Robert Kiyosaki said to do. You know, that's why I learned Dave Ramsey was great. I got rid of my bad debt. I learned about good debt. And so it was 2007, 2000, into 2006, I started kind of working on my plan. And I, I, I told my wife, I, uh, I, read, <laughs> I read Tony Robbins too, man. I started reading all these kind of personal development books and real estate books. And, um, and I was just getting, I was having these ideas come to me that I never had before and believe, you know, like believing that I could do something that was just new to me. And I remember I read this, uh, unlimited power book by Tony Robbins. I was like, Holy cow, man. I never heard about a, like a vision board and, and, and all, you know, having these big thoughts and doing all this kind of stuff. So I went to, I went to uh, like a Walgreens or some drugstore, and I remember I bought a poster board, and and I told myself I was going to buy ten rental properties that year. And this is like broke, living apartment, we had no money, and um, so I drew ten big squares on that poster board, and and I laid it out to my wife, and I was like babe, I, I know what I'm going to do. And she's like, all right, well, you know, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to become a real estate investor. And to me, it was bold just to say it, you know, because I didn't, I thought she was going to crack up laughing at me. She was like, what are you talking about a real estate investor? You know, uh, and she saw how I, my eBay little thing <laughs> went, which is not good. So she probably had zero confidence in me, but she kind of put on a good front at least, you know, she's like, oh, you can, you can, you can totally do it. I believe in you. You know how are you gonna do that? And uh, she's always been supportive. So I told her I was gonna buy these ten rental properties. I didn't know how I was gonna do it, but I told her I was gonna make it happen. I put that poster board on the wall of our apartment, and every time I bought one, I colored it in like you know, filled it in with black marker, mark, uh, sharpie or whatever. So that's when people say, you know, man, I'm waiting until I get this money or I do this or do that, and I'm like man, I didn't have any money. That's the reason I got into real estate because I read all these books that you can do creative deals. Like you could trade basically your time and your energy and your hustle to do deals. And, and that's, what, that's what drew me to real estate because it gave guys like me a shot because I didn't have any money. I had no, you know, my mom and dad wasn't going to, didn't have any money to give me. So that wasn't going to happen unless I just made it happen myself. And, uh, dude, that's where, 
that's what that's where the grind began man really in 2007 and it was just like i became obsessed with it wow bro a lot going on there man yeah. a lot going on what were you selling on ebay by the way i'm curious dude i don't even want to tell you man <laughs> sex toys <laughs> no. i mean it's a big business no. bro i ain't mad at no. you you wouldn't know uh so my wife was a hairstylist and uh yeah, so my wife was a hairstylist. Her mom, her sister were all in that industry. So we went to uh, we went to a trade show in Las Vegas one year, and they were selling all this stuff for the for that industry. So I bought a bunch of of jewelry, like just like cheap jewelry, and these things called tan towels. Like you could just wipe it on you, and you would be tan. And so I've never really been tan in my life. So I'm like, dang, that seems like that's going to be amazing product. And so it's easy to ship. So I did this, I bought like some bad jewelry and tried to sell that. But these tan towels, um, was what was my product. A tan towel. I've, I've heard of tanning spray. I've never heard of a tanning towel. It's like a baby wipe, man. It was like, that's hilarious. No, I used it, man. I was using it, man. I was, I was stealing from the inventory. I'm like, at least I have a tan, man. <laughs> In business, man, and you were doing so. You were doing e-commerce before e-commerce was what it is now. Yeah, the funny thing, man. I bet a lot of people don't even know about this. So I, I started looking at franchises. I'm like, all right, maybe I can get a loan. I had good credit. I'm like, maybe I can get a loan. I'll, I'll, I'll buy a franchise. They had these eBay business franchises popping up all over the place i remember I you remember that you remember yeah, that? the 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 sell your stuff in the ebay store yeah they're kind of like all these cbd places popping yeah. up all over the place there were these ebay franchises. there was like five or six of them and i'm like man it's the greatest idea ever just bring it to me we charge a you know we like 20 percent markup off the top so i looked at doing that that man that would have been a huge mistake yeah, oh, those, those things are gone nowadays. They, they, those oh, aren't a thing. Gone. Yeah, yeah 100%, came yeah. and gone. You can do that with your phone now. And then I forgot to mention when I got real burned out in law enforcement, I saw this thing, get a scholarship. So I applied for law school and I didn't get in. And thank God. Uh, so I, you know, I went down that path. I was going to get into law school. I did pretty good in the LSAT and whatnot, but um, I didn't get in. So. Why, why, didn't, like, why didn't you get in? I'm, I'm just curious. I don't really know. I had two friends. I applied uh, two schools here in Houston. Had a husband, we have a friend, a husband and wife attorneys, and I had a better score than one of them. And I didn't take the prep tests and all that. Just, you know. Mm. Uh, and I did pretty good, though. I studied for it. And uh, I don't know why I didn't get in. They're like, you're a shoe-in. You're in law enforcement, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, know. they told me no. I didn't. I didn't fight it. I'm like, whatever. I'm meant to be. Yeah, man. So that that was how it all got started, and I just went full force into real estate. I love it, bro. I I do have a couple of follow up questions for you. Um, throughout everything you just shared with us, man. And by the way, really appreciate you sharing that come up, man. It's super relatable, and you know, it's. Interesting to me that you left a career in law enforcement after seven years of putting in time, because there's somebody listening right now that have been working at their job 
And they're just not happy. But they're afraid to move into a different area, a different field. Especially being, you know, in the law enforcement space, law enforcement comes with benefits, pension, right? Retire after, is it 20 years? It's it's changing a lot now, but yeah, that's what it used to be. Yeah. I mean, some people get into law enforcement and they're thinking, you know, hey, I'm set, right? I'm going to put in my time and I'm set. I get full coverage and everything. And to just leave that, I mean, that's a pretty bold move. And, you know, I'm just curious, man, to to know, like, what was kind of going through your, your mind to just walk away after seven years of, you know, dedicating yourself to something. The family was a big thing. I'm, I'm a big, like, energy guy. Like, I just want to follow my heart. But what had happened, man, was I had, you know, I had this, I had the degree in criminal justice. There was promotion. They, they were promoting for lieutenants. And I was a sergeant. They were having uh, promotions for lieutenants, my department. And uh, I scored top on the test, top on the, the PT test, like running push up sit-ups all that kind of stuff attendance awards da, 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 da. and uh they didn't have lieutenants promotions every year and um yeah so long story short i got passed up for the lieutenant uh mm. promotion and everybody there were like all right we know phillips is getting one of the five who's getting another four and um i got passed up as new chief and that's what I was talking about politics. Like people got promoted that didn't even pass the test, certain didn't even have degrees, much less criminal justice degree. So it was politics. And I'm not going to get into why all this stuff happened, but I'm like, all right, whatever. And, and, but that really, honestly, like that really pissed me off. Cause I'm like, man, I can go fight this. And I could have fought it. Like I talked to somebody like, man, you can fight this and challenge it. And you got I'm like, I want to do that. Then they had this other position open up that I was supposed to get. It was like a day job and it was a desk job, but I just wanted to see my family. And, uh, and I was, I got picked for that job by the Lieutenant was over it and politics. Once again, I was told the day before that I wasn't allowed to do it. And honestly, like the reason he gave me was the color of my skin. And he was like, uh, you know, if you repeat this to anybody, I'll call you, you know, mother bleep a liar. I'll have your job, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who wants to work in that environment? You know, and like I said, it wasn't my life's calling to expose, you know, shady stuff and all that kind of stuff that's going on there. So I'm like, man, I'm mm-hmm. just going to bounce. And like I literally put in my two weeks notice and I left. Gotcha. And then, you know, went in the corporate world, leaving, pol- leaving law enforcement was not that hard for me. That was a depressing place, man. And the funny, it's not funny, but uh, I went back, I went back to my department three times. And the reason why is because we had uh, all of our children at the same hospital and the hospital is like right by my PED. So, I, you know, we had a, I, every time we have a kid, I'd go in and say hi to these people. And I remember we had our first, you know, I had my first child at the police department. We had our second child and that was three years later. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? And same people, a little bit heavier, a little bit older. Mm. exactly the same man you won't believe what's going on here the bitching moaning only got 10 more years man you know i wish i'd have left we had our next kid right three years later 
went back, what's up guys? Like saying hi to everybody and a little, little bit older, probably a little bit more of a weight, bitching, complaining about the same stuff. And I'm like, damn. And that was really eye-opening to me because I'm like, man, it's been six years now. And then I went back again, same mm -hmm. stuff. And that, that's pretty much had been a decade. And these people, a lot, most of those people are still there. You know, some had died, some, had moved, you know, whatever. And uh, so that for me was really easy. When it got hard was in corporate America, America because after I did my, I, my first year, I remember I started buying these rental properties. And to tell that story, what I did was I borrowed, like we got these credit card checks in the mail and I, and I, and I borrowed $7,000 on one to buy uh, a rental property from, from net worth realty, which they were called real net back in the day. And uh, it's funny, the guy I bought my first house from, I bought, I don't know, 50 or 60 houses from them. His name is Manish. And uh, he called me yesterday, but we're still friends to this day. He moved off to Atlanta, moving back. Anyways, we, um, I bought that property. So I used that $7,000, got a hard money loan, bought that house. And, uh, you know, got my contractors to did their things, like just on point, like managing my contractors, getting the house lease before my first, my first uh, payment was even due. And I did that kind of out of necessity because I needed that, that thing to be leased and positive cash flow. And so I went to my hard money lender, people like, how are you, how are you able to do that? I'm like, well, one, the market in 2007, granted, was different. But number two, so much of real estate is relationships. So I went, I went to my hard money lender and I was like, hey man, what'd you think about my first, my first deal? You know, he's like, yeah, you guys did it quick. And you know, I was like, yep, I already got it. Um, already got it leased out, started my refinance already. Here, you know, here we go. He's like, man, it's really good. I'm like, well, I want to do more deals. He's like, yeah, I'd love to work with you. I'm like, here's the deal, man. I ain't got, I don't have any more money. Uh, so what I negotiated with them was I got another one of those $7,000 checks at a $14,000 credit card. I said, I'm going to give you, uh, uh, I don't know if it was like a money order or whatever I did. It's like, I'm going to give you to hold. I'm like, can I, if I bring, if it's a good deal, can I get a hundred percent financing? And so basically I had to sell, sell myself and sell hard. But basically what I worked out with them that he was going to fund a hundred percent of my deal. He's going to keep, you know, that cashier's check or whatever. And then I had like six months to get refinanced. So long story short, and it took a lot of like jumping through hoops and doing all kinds of stuff. I was able to, you know, buy those houses and um, get them all refinanced because you could get 10 Fannie Mae loans back then. It, absolutely. I know why the market crashed. And I didn't know anything about real estate. I got, I was doing this and I've got mortgage brokers asking me if I want cash back. And I'm like, for real? Like you can do that? That didn't even <laughs> seem right to me. And I didn't know what I was doing. And so I got those deals done. Boom. 10 rentals that first year. Then I moved into 2008. I couldn't get financing anymore. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know anything about private money. So I started putting together partnerships, bought 10 more houses. So I got to into 2008. I had 20 something rentals. I told my wife, I gotta, I gotta quit my job because I was, you know, mainly working with wholesalers, buying those deals, managing contractors, leasing the properties myself, managing the properties myself. And I was working a demanding corporate job too, man. It was not, 
is not easy. And what what industry, by the way? Dude, I don't even like to talk about that, man. Okay, um, right, we, we we don't have to. We don't have to. Dude, it's <laughs> it's uh, when I say corporate job, a lot depends on what audience I'm talking to. Sometimes I do that just so I get in the story. But um, there's this company called EcoLab. Oh, I know, I know EcoLab. Yeah, so I hate I hated that job, man. Um, because I was in sales, and so a lot of days I had to wear a tie and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but I sold like Windex, glass cleaner, floor. Cleaner, oh yeah. Laundry detergent, dishwasher, soap. Dude, I worked in I restaurants a, for like ten years, so I used to see you guys coming in. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I keep a I keep a bottle in here. I got a bottle of glass cleaner just to remind me. And so, dude, I had to you so you know what I did? Like I would go sell accounts, service accounts, and then the next minute I put on the slab coat and I'm under on the ground working on two hundred and twenty volt dishwasher motor that right. you know, goop sloshing in my face and it's 100 degrees outside i go outside i'm sweating balls and i gotta go do a sales call on another account my phone's blowing up i just i really didn't like that job man like i said i didn't like that job but i, I was in sales and i always finished on one or number two and getting like i'm i'm rambling a bit but then i came to the point where i had like 25 rentals but it wasn't enough to pay my bills these were fully leveraged houses but I was like, I got to quit my job because one, I was just working so much. I, you know, work till two or three in the morning, get up at six and do the same thing again. And so I just told my wife, like, man, we're just, I'm just going to find a way. And uh, so, you know, some things popped up to me. Like I never flipped a house before. This whole construction thing came about. I won't get into that story, but that took off. But right before I quit. I was, I was getting my evaluation by my supervisor. She was pretty cool. She knew I had bought some rentals. I stopped telling people at my job after about four or five what I was doing. And uh, we're doing my review. And she basically, she told me that I was about to be offered a promotion at the uh, company like banquet thing the next week. And I was getting this award and blah, 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 blah. She's like, you know, you're awesome. You did great, you know. You have anything for me and that's why i had made up my mind i was going to quit that day and i was i was nervous man because i had two kids i had a kid on the way medical i had a company car and i was like yeah i have something to tell you i'm, I'm gonna quit so i'm not gonna be at the banquet next weekend and uh it was hilarious she said she's like damn can you help me quit too and oh, i ended up <laughs> So I ended up helping her do some deals and I quit my job, but it was, it was scary, man. Like I had the medical, I had the car, I had, I wasn't making much money, you know, but I had whatever, 50, 60 grand, whatever I was making, it was enough to pay my bills and to let all that go. Mm. You got to do, man. It's either you want to settle for good or great. That's what, we, you know, what all gets in the way of your greatness is just being comfortable, man. And, and I just, I went all into it. I love it, bro. It's true. You know, if you're not happy doing what you do every day, right, for work, you got to get out of it. You have to. I can relate to you, bro. I used to bartend. I hated it. I would show up to work angry. And I would take that out on customers. I'm like, these people ain't doing anything. I'm just miserable with my situation. You know? 
And to any listeners out there right now that are feeling that type of way, just know like there's other methods out there, right? There's other methods out there. I, I tell Nicole all the time, you know, if, if everything was to fail and my whole world collapsed, I could always go get a job. Yeah. I always get a job. And, and you said you were in sales, man. It's one of the most powerful skill sets, right? If you can sell, you should never be broke, right? I say you can't be broke, but you should never be broke because there's always opportunities out there. Companies need sales guys, uh, you know, to generate revenues. So get your skills right. Get your skills right. Right. I want to switch gears here, man, because, you know, obviously, bro, things worked out for you, man. And we've only been chatting for the last 45 minutes or so, so we can't cover everything. But I know just like any entrepreneur, man, there had to be some rough patches in your journey in the real estate world and in, in business. What, what would you say is one of those moments that stands out that just was a huge challenge for you where you're just like, oh, man, should I throw in a towel or, you know, what this isn't going right or, you know, like the world's falling on you like. Did you have any of those moments? Yeah, man. Um, so we started doing a lot of stuff, you know, over in the Heights back in the day. And when the height, you know, the Heights are the Heights and Heights are, are, are great in a lot of ways. They're terrible in a lot of ways too. The, the Heights have wrecked a lot of real estate investors' dreams, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. they've, they've broke a lot of folks. So, man, I, I hit some rough patches whenever... Um, we got into some high-end deals, doing some new construction development, you know, on five hundred thousand dollar houses, flipping houses that were six or seven hundred thousand dollars. And whenever oil and oil and gas tanked, and that uh, what what I call luxury market really is in, in even to this day, you get above five hundred thousand dollars. It's not as luxury as it used to be, but I was holding multiple, multiple, multiple properties. And I was cutting big checks, you know, most of those were with, with private lenders, but still I was cutting 10% checks on, you know, $500,000 loans, $400,000 loans. And those houses weren't selling, man. And it was rough. Why, it was why weren't they rough. selling? Dude, oil and gas. Oh, when, oh, when oil. Just, I got you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole, that whole market just kind of tanked for a year to two years, something like that completely almost this wasn't and, too long ago right uh it was a while back yeah it was like 2014 area mm. around that time 2014 2015 and our products too weren't that great i mean i've always been like a rent ready kind of guy man like paint everything beige cheap cheap flooring cheap carpet like just lipstick kind of rehabs on you know $200,000 houses, $150,000 houses, like nice, but it's like, we're not getting into this fancy kind of stuff. It just, it just wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so our products could have been better. Our products could have been better. They're good products, but man, that's a whole different, you got a whole different clientele over there. So I learned some lessons, man. I like, I, I took hits, took losses and, you know, I had similar conversations with my wife, too, when it comes to, like, business and raising money. When I first started raising money, I remember, like, one day I told my wife, like, man, I got a, a, a new private lender. They want to invest with us. And she was like, man, that's great. That's awesome. 
but I felt like the weight of the world on my shoulders. And, uh, and, and I remember telling, I'm like, and babe, if anything happens, you know, my lenders got to get paid. Um, they're going to get paid no matter what. This is their retirement money. This is their nest egg. They're trusting me. And so, man, you know, when it comes up, like, well, you know, like what am I, what am I proud of? Well, I'm proud, not just that I didn't give up because, man, it's easy to give up because business is hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason nine out of 10 businesses fail or whatever, because it's, it's not easy. It's not for everybody. But I've always, I always performed on all of my loans, all of my notes, all of my commitments with, with my lenders. I perform, man, and just like I figured things out. And because there have been rough patches, man, 100%. Mm. There's been rough patches. Brent, what would you say is your biggest fear? Oh, man, like in real estate or life? In life, bro. Just biggest fear in life. As much as I, I work and... I don't know, man. Maybe it's a fear of failure. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't do the whole public speaking thing as, as the greatest fear. Um, man, I'd have to think about that. I have to think about that. It's a good question. I, I don't honestly don't know what my mm. greatest fear is. I, I guess I'd have to say something pertaining to my wife or kids, something happening to them, something you know, anything bad happened to them or God forbid losing one of them, that would be my biggest fear. I feel that, man. If you could take a look at the last portion of your life, personal business, is there any one thing that you regret? Well, I'll tell you, uh, and you knew me at this time where I went through a real down patch of life, not so, you know, not so much business. When we were really cranking things up back in the day, we, uh, when I had, I had like first time I had everybody on the team, you know, multiple acquisitions agents, uh, realtor, admin, team of VAs. We actually had an office in the Philippines just for our VAs, you know, a bookkeeping person, a marketing, like had all these people. We hit the Inc. 5000 list and we're blowing and going, have my, you know, a book out, going on the news and I was on the verge of divorce. And, and that's when I have reached like, Hey, I'm successful, making all this money. Life's supposed to be great. And Dude, if anybody's listening to this, like money is, it's going to fill one gap, right? Like a financial gap in your life. There's things you can do with it, but it is not going to fill all voids in your life. So that's, that's where I say I hit my, I, I became a one dimensional douchebag. All right. And I had got, there's, you know, two or three years of my life where I just got so focused on business. I hadn't begin began neglecting relationship with my wife even with my kids to a certain extent and in my body, it was, man, I was drinking a lot and I was just like focused on success. And that was a real, it became a real dark. It was my low point in, in business. And, and dude, we, we all get a look in that mirror every single day, man. I just figure I'm like, what am I going to do here? 
and um and i had to like i had to you know rehab houses i had to rehab me and so i went on this you know kind of journey uh to find out you know who i really was who i was going to be and, and make big decisions you know and ultimately you know my wife and i and we just had that conversation like we're not just going to settle and just have this blah marriage and this blah like we're either going to go all in with this and we're going to make an amazing life and or we're not it's like period like we're not and we decided to go all in with it and um and and so then man i just got i got reinvigorated with life that's when i uh i started you asked about fears i i got real fired up with pushing myself to overcome my fears and i know we're i know we're up against it probably on time but uh that's when i i i, I launched my breakthrough at the beach uh events and i was teaching guys what i learned and, and i learned things like i had, had three knee surgeries from high school football college in my 30s i was told my knees bone on bone yada 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 i need a knee replacement and i met this dude was one of my coaches and he started telling these stories about you know competing in ironman so long story short i just like man i'm just gonna push the envelope so since then i've done multiple ironmans fought in an MMA cage fight. I went and trained with Navy SEALs in a in like a two-day event with no sleep, and a guy actually died in that event. But what I started doing was like really attacking what my fear was and, and trying to learn from that um, and apply, you know, how do I apply those lessons in life and my relationships? And uh, that was a time where... Um, I learned a lot about success, that success is not as glorious and glamorous and all these people on Facebook sharing like everything's great. It's not always, it is not always great. Um, but I used that time of, of being a dark period to learn from it, grow from it, document it, and try to help some guys out along mm. the way. And uh, so that was, that was a bad experience where it turned into like probably the greatest time of my life was two or three years where I was just like, man, I'm just going to play all in, build this marriage back, just make everything uh, wonderful. And that's where I learned I didn't want to scale a big business. We kind of adopted the approach, small but mighty, staying lean, staying sustainable, taking what I learned from those down markets. Because if you, anyone's around me, I'm all, and my, my students, I'm always talking about sustainability. Like you may be making money today, but are you going to make money tomorrow? You're going to be in business five years from now. Are you creating, you know, are you creating a business that's built to last? And a lot of guys aren't. And, and that scares me because I want to create a legacy. I want to leave something to my kids. I want to leave some different charities and foundations. And uh, I've seen too many people, man, get knocked out of the game. I don't want to get knocked out of the game. I'm hoping you call me back in five or 10 years from now on, uh, you know, you know, like Joe Rogan style. Brand Phillips Part 2, 2025 update. That's a great idea, bro. And you just changed it for me, bro. Yeah. That was it. That was the one nugget yeah. I needed from this uh, episode, bro. Yeah. We're going to do follow-ups. My man. There you go, man. Put it on the calendar. My man. Bro, you have an incredible story, man. So inspiring. I cannot believe... Uh, you know, the transparency, man, much appreciated. And wow, you said you trained with Navy SEALs, two days, no sleep. That's that's hardcore, bro. Yeah, that's hardcore, man. 
I like studied Navy SEAL training because it's just I'm fascinated by it. So I tune into Goggins, uh, Marcus Luttrell, you know, all, all, all the top Navy SEALs, you know, on social media and whatnot and the dove into Hell Week stories. It's just unbelievable what those guys go through, man. Five days. They say they average like two to four hours of sleep in five days. Amazing to graduate, uh, hell week or to get past hell week is unbelievable what you can push your body to and your mind to. Yep, yep. Have you heard of that, uh, that Andy Frisella program 75 hard? Yeah, I have. I have. I'm starting that up, bro. Are you really? I am. I am. You, man. I am. I'm gonna be starting it up, uh, like soon, like tomorrow, soon. Um, Jeez. it's tough, man. It sounds easy, but it's not. No, it doesn't sound easy. Oh, I mean, it's like five steps, right? Drink the gallon, yeah. work out twice a day, read 10 pages, diet and a picture. Yeah. I'm trying to work through this gallon a day, man. That's a tough part. That's the easy part. <laughs> if you're used to it. Yeah. But uh, what, 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 what would be the hard part? Well, so... Okay, so the work, creating time for your workouts, that's going to be hard because you got to do one of those workouts outside. Um, like I've thought about it, and I just haven't committed to it. You talk about Goggins. I read Goggins last year, uh, January of 2019. And uh, in the full disclosure, so the, the Seal Fit event I went through is called Kokoro. And there was 50-something guys who, who – registered uh for uh i don't know how many registered like like 50 something showed up and um i didn't make it through the whole way 13 people uh made it the whole way i was the first uh second to last to tap i was like number 15 i didn't make it the whole way i was around the 40 hour mark and i i tapped out and then the, one of the guys in my group ended up dying from that but long story short like I'm, I'm a big believer in that mindset that you learn even from that, even from that failure, man, I learned so much. You take that stuff into your life, your relationships, your business. So you brought up Goggins last January, I read Goggins, I read his book <clears throat> and I mentioned the three knee surgeries, that kind of stuff. So dude, I, I read what he was doing with all this ultra marathon stuff. So I signed up and I ran a 50 mile ultra marathon last April. Dude, honestly, it jacked me up. It jacked me up. My uh, wait, wait. Did you say five zero? Yeah, I ran fifty mile. Fifty oh, miles, nonstop. It was at one <laughs> what the? Stop. I mean, like you take you small breaks. <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. I, I gotta, I gotta know about this, man. How long did it take you to do fifty miles? It took me about thirteen hours. 13 hours, bro. Yeah. 50 miles would probably take me like four days. <laughs> 13 hours, yeah. 50 miles. Holy smokes. And, and, and what, what was the purpose of this? Just like, is it for charity or just for like personal accomplishment? Or? Dude, I would literally see something, maybe get inspired, maybe be fearful of it. And I'm like, all right, that means I got to do it. Like I was literally on a mastermind call. These guys were, it was a business mastermind 
but we used to do CrossFit workouts and do all this kind of stuff and just compete. And one of my coaches, I don't even remember the conversation, but basically he cut, you know, I don't know if kids are watching this, but, uh, you know, he was pretty much, I don't remember the conversation, but he's like, you guys are a bunch of pussies. He's like, you know, and he pretty much called us out and the conversation just went all kinds of places. And long story short, before the end of the, the coaching call, you know, one of the guys is like, damn it, I'll fight in a cage fight or whatever. And he's like, you going to commit to that? And he's like, hell yeah. And I'm like, all right, you know, I came, I, I, I joined him like, I'll fight, I'll fight in a cage fight. I'm not afraid to fight. And um, a couple of others did. And I'm all about like 90 day goals. Like you put, you make a year goal, two years, there's a place for that. But a lot of stuff, you just need to condense that time down, just make it happen. Right. So long story short, yours truly is the only one who actually executed on it. So within 90 days, I was in a cage, in a cage fight. I had like no martial arts, MMA fighting experience. So, man, I'm telling you, I just went through this period of time where I just like, I just do it. You know, I was just Damn. like, sign me up. Skip, me getting up. rocked in the face and yeah. everything. Oh, oh. Dude, I got my ass knocked out cold, man. Like Jeez. knocked out cold and and i wake up and the dude's just pounding on my face i mean i got up and everything but holy why did i do it i like i mean to tell the story to to tell the story (laughs) i believe in i believe in god and i believe in living life and you know i try not to be stupid but i I mean i've learned the most from going through my iron man dude that 50 mile thing like pushed me hard dude like it pushed me so hard because i didn't i didn't train like i should have but i read goggins basically ran 100 miles with little no training i know he's a seal but i'm like hell if he can do 100 i can do 50 and uh i trained the longest i ran was like 17 miles for my training and i remember i this was a basically three mile uh, i'm sorry three loop thing it was like 17 miles 16 and a half whatever it was and you would run 16 and a half miles that's the starting point again you can take a break get something to eat change your shoes whatever you want to do so i hit it and i did pretty good and um i'm like man i'm feeling good i'm gonna do this thing and then i changed my shoes out put some lube on you know get a little bite to eat popped in my headphones i didn't have my headphones on first 16 i'm like man i'm gonna pop in my headphones I take off, I'm on mile 17. Dude, I felt great. I'm like, man, I'm gonna freaking crush this thing. Mile 18, oh shit, you know. 19, boom, I hit a wall at 20. And uh, I did, I hit a wall hard. And I started just thinking about, you know, Goggins, started thinking about my kids and you just, I found it very necessary to, to put myself in those challenges and like what you're doing, like 75 hard, I respect that because so many times I want to just quit and you start thinking about what are you going to, what are you going to say whenever, you know, your daughter or your son asks you, dad, why'd you quit? You know, mm. when your friends on social media, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so that's why I did, man. Just, just for the experience, let me learn something new wow. about me and let's see how I'm going to show up. And, and I'm not going to lie. Jacked me up, dude. Like my hip was 
I'm getting old, man. So, so my hip and knee was not, were not the same for a long period of time. Damn. But, uh, unbelievable, man. 50 miles. Holy smokes. My man. Brent, what's your message to the people? Right. You got you got the, the, the listeners, they they're tuned in. They've heard your story. They're super inspired. What's your message to them, man? Dude, I mean, you know, I I think we all have you just pursue the calling in your heart, I guess would be my message to people. Is so many people you've you brought it up. I mean, people they have fear. They back down to fear. They they worry about benefits. They worry about medical insurance. They worry about, you know, you know, failing in, in that, that whatever the quote unquote security comes from the job. I saw my dad lose everything and get laid off time after time. So to me, you're putting yourself in a bad position if you're relying upon someone else rather than going out, just taking control of your destiny. So it would be that just pursue calling in your heart um something i took from one of the most powerful books i ever read which is called wild at heart and it was like find a battle to fight if you're just showing up at a nine to five just whatever filing paperwork like find a, a battle to fight find create an adventure to live that's why i started i was getting so inspired by these you know things i was doing like create adventure in your life like don't just settle for that status quo, you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, the last part was uh, find a beauty uh, to, to love, to rescue, right? So, so play all in with, with your spouse, your significant other, your loved ones, your children, and uh, inspire them. Inspire the ones that inspire you. You don't want to be that, that, that corporate zombie just walking through wondering what should have, would have, could have, and just like... Powerful stuff, brother. Brent, are you currently promoting anything that you'd like to share with the audience? Man, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. You know, <laughs> I always have things going on. Um, if people want to reach out and connect, just, you know, I tell people go to brantphillips.com. You'll get uh, plugged into what we're doing. The, the main thing I'm promoting right now uh, is we, you know, I wrote a book. Well, a couple of books, a little promo. My first book was How to Flip a House. And uh, I just wrote it. I don't know why I wrote it, man. People were asking me, you know, can we meet for breakfast, lunch? I started running out of time. And I just got inspired. I wrote a book. It went pretty well. And um, so then, you know, we talked about how valuable having a, a sales uh, skill set is. And it is. And I've always been a believer in you lead with value. You educate people. You help people. If you do that enough times, a certain amount are going to come back and want to do business with you. So when I started raising private money and um, kind of, you know, just getting more involved in that space and understanding more about it and really seeing how few people really even knew about private mortgage lending, about the opportunity of private lending, I was like, man, you know, there was a big opportunity there to, to help people just with educating. So I wrote this book, it's called Private Lender Playbook. And um, and this book has done really well, and uh, it's on Amazon, it's on Audible. But what really just happened from uh, masterminding and hanging out with folks, you know, similar-minded folks, a friend of mine's in the publishing space, 
and we collaborated on something that I'm really excited about. What we've, what we've done is we've taken my book, Private Lender Playbook, and we've essentially what's called white labeled. We've white, white labeled that book. What we're doing is we've reduced it down a little bit, um, but still I think it's like 150 pages for other real estate investors and entrepreneurs rather than raising money, pitching deals, you know, trying to sell people. You don't need to do any of that. Like we're, this is an example of a book where we're helping other real estate investors. This is Sherry, this is Sherry and Brant Phillips. So we've got individual titles, individual covers for real estate investors. So they can just go hand out their book and market their, their book to people. You don't pitch anything. You don't sell anything. Say, Hey, here's some information. Take a look at it. If it's interest you, give me a call, schedule a call, we'll chat. So this is, this is a, very valuable tool to help real estate investors raise money for their deals. We know it's all about deals and dollars, right? If you've got good deal flow coming in, a lot of people have problem raising money, getting the dollars. So we're, we're trying to help solve that problem for real estate investors. So really excited about that. So if anybody wants information about that, just hit me up. And um, that's really it, man. That's super cool, man. Awesome stuff. I love that. I love that white label idea where that's just super cool, man. I, that's, I've never seen anybody do that before. So props it's, to you, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's working well. We've got a, a group and we, we have we have a coaching program that comes with it. You know, they come in and we help them, you know, mm. uh, in our coaching calls and training and things like that. We're helping them market the book and do small workshops and meetings and things like that. So it's, it's going really well. Very, very excited for about it and um, having a lot of fun with that my man well brand it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show man i hope you enjoyed and yeah. uh thank you so much for sharing brother i know the audience is fired up and inspired and man thanks to you we're gonna be doing the part two it's coming all right man. brand phillips part two coming in the future man enjoy the rest of your day brother take care Appreciate all the best you,